the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So I'd like to have Representative David Schweikert with us. He represents Arizona's 1st Congressional District and uh, here in Arizona. He's also the vice chairman of the Joint Economic Committee. David, I, um, I was just mentioning to you, I'll do it, let's do it for the benefit of the audience for a moment if you don't mind. I was just mentioning to you I had occasion to um, earlier today visiting, uh, visit a homeless shelter, uh, a really interesting one. Uh, called the House of Refuge up uh, on North 7th Street up in the Sunny Slope area. Uh, they don't take any uh, federal or state funds because they're explicitly religious. Um, they require uh, they they require abstinence. You can't be uh, they require sobriety. You can't be using drugs. Um, and they and they they just do a tremendous job. And I was just saying to you, you know, you probably get to see a lot more of these kinds of platoon operations around the valley and around the state by dint of your job than I do by dint of mine. But you see it, and, you know, it's just kind of heartwarming. There, there are good things. There are great things going on in the community. I don't mean to be Pollyannish about this. I just I haven't been to something as moving as that in a long time. Look, it's a powerful thing when our church community actually gets involved yeah. in the most difficult issues. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, um, a, a number of our congregations get very uncomfortable when you're um, talking about substance abuse and some of the um, really difficult things that come with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you and I have talked about um, there's some good literature out there that makes it clear getting someone off these synthetic drugs, yeah. whether it be the new versions of meth yep. or um, now you know fentanyl. Yeah, the semi-synthetics it, as well. Yeah, you it, bet. It, it affects the brain differently yep. than plant-based. Yep. Yep. Um, and there's some brilliant discussions out there of you know our history is we're, we're going to wait till someone sobers up and then they'll make the decision they want to go into rehab. Uh-uh. What happens when someone's brain can never get to the yeah, moment right. where they're sobered up right. to make a a a, a individual right. life-affirming decision. That's right. And as Americans, that's really uncomfortable because you're starting to get into the discussion of do you have to take someone and how do you get them to the point that's where right. they, they're you know in their right mind enough to make a life decision of I want to be on the street or I want a path. Yep. That's exactly right. And the relapse rates are so dang high, David, as you well know, which is why, you know, I'm just that's why I spend all my time, you know, beating the prevention drum. It's so much if you don't have to start, man, you've got a victory because once you start, I mean, the odds are just not with you to to stay even clean for a long term, uh, even if you do beat it for a while. And you're right. Who knows what that bottom is you hit before someone like a judge tells you, um, if you are still alive, that you have no other choice and nowhere else to go but, well, and, but to a and rehab. Well, stories of the death rate in our community. Yeah. Um, you know, the number of homeless people yep. that every month um, are at the morgue. Yep. Um, and, and, and because it, you know, it, it's not in your face, and let's be honest, local news, you know, it's just not a story to them anymore. Right. 
Right. Um, but uh, the the lack of humanity, the immorality here. But it may it's it's time to have a much tougher approach, not from a, a brutal law enforcement, but almost being able to say. Um, you're not in your right mind. You know, you know we, yes. we know some of the fentanyls set off schizophrenia and yep. other brain diseases. Yep. Um, it's immoral allowing these folks to, to live on the street without reaching out somehow saying, we've got to get them so they can actually make a life decision. I didn't, I didn't know we were going to go here. Let's stay here for one more second because I have been just slack-jawed, if you, don't, if you don't mind staying here for a second, I have been slack-jawed at the immorality of certain public health departments you've been reading about in New York City and in San Francisco, where they're now, their idea now is to give away free glass pipes under the theory, as they will tell you, that it is safer to smoke fentanyl than it is to inject it. Say, well, safer for what? Safer on the drug user or safer on AIDS? I, I, they are giving away the materials. They are giving away the materials that encourage, that appease, it, that it, enable it, it, drug use. I, th- I, th- I think it's such public policy malfeasance. Um, yeah, I, what I'm going to say is a little inflammatory. Um, but it's another example of the left trying to make it so you can live with your misery. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of ending it. Yeah, exactly. It's a very different approach to, to the human condition. Yeah. It, and I will argue that the moral thing is not to um, engage in something that, it, yes, a glass pipe might be safer, but how about getting the person off the drugs and getting them an, an opportunity? And it's hard. You know, with some of these synthetics, we know the recidivism rate is the majority. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but do you give up on people? No, I mean, that's right. And it's really a, it, it's really an interesting thing when you think about what it is, which is the enabling. As any family member or friend who's gone through watching a family member or friend get to recovery, if they ever did, the shame they feel having been an enabler. You know, the problem is these public health departments have no shame, but that is what they are enabling. You, you realize by giving them the pipe, you're giving away the most expensive part of drug use. The pipe costs more than the fentanyl itself in many cases. It's, it's it, just incredibly insane to me. Well, it, look, I would less focus on the glass pipe and more, is this really how you ultimately right. make people's lives better? That's right. That's right. And it makes it it prolongs the use, which makes it worse. All right. Anyway, I didn't mean to go. Uh, the other just breaking news I saw Adam Schiff finally was censured. They took away the I guess the fine part of it, so so it got it got through the entirety or most of the caucus. Uh, what's with this parallel universe situation, David? I'm watching the Democrats defend him and say he's been vindicated. Not. As a result of it, he was vindicated in what he said as a House Intelligence Chair over Russian collusion. Not a thing he said was true. He lorded over us his security clearances and intelligence about Russian collusion and evidence of it, never producing well, I, it. Yeah, go I ahead. Can I take you a slightly different direction? Yeah. Um, what Schiff did was in many ways he helped tear apart the society. Yes, sir. You know, his willingness to say things that blatantly were not true. His willingness to come out of in the skip and run to a television camera and say things that didn't happen in that room, yep. and yet the others following the rule and the law couldn't respond. Mm-hmm. Um, and not being in the majority, you have functionally no way to enforce it. Remember, the House is a you know majority-based yep. body. Yep. How much damage did you do to society? How much did we set people off against each other? How much did he functionally fill the 
paranoia, the the, the polarization you'd see even today on cable television. Yep. Um, you know, my personal is I had shift look me in the eye and, and tell me something that was not true. So mine's a little more personal with you. I understand it. But how many um, times did he go in front of TV and do it, it knowing that, that as chair of House Intel, he could lord that over people to yes, you know, imply that... It, There's that, a chance yeah, he'll yeah. be a U.S. senator from California. Yeah, I haven't looked at the polling on that lately, but I know that there's uh, he's got powerful forces behind him. This is for the Feinstein seat. Um, but yeah. it, it's... And now, there's that site. Yep. Uh, this belonged being punished. Yes, I agree. It is an interesting question, and I voted for it, mm-hmm. is doing a House censure, yeah. um, which is sort of the, the highest um, level of getting spanked. Yeah. Um, it's now tit for tat, though. Yeah. Um, you know, they functionally censured, you know, one of our members of yep. our delegation, yep. and now we censure him. And you're seeing this right now in discussions of impeachment. Well, yep. they did it to President Trump. Now we must do it. It's we're setting a level of um, uh, back and forth and back and forth. And in some ways, none of these will actually really go anywhere or do anything. That's right. Um, and and then you have the perversity of we have some members now raising money on it. The yeah. Democrats <laughs> yeah. at this moment are sending out emails and text messages across the money to raise money on this. Yes, yes. And so... Uh, it's instead of actually dealing with the fact like uh, our borrowing is out is out, out of control. Our, our tax receipts are falling. Healthcare costs have skyrocketed, and our interest carry costs have gone up so much this year. Our borrowing in this fiscal year may equal all of government, yeah. all of defense, and every dime of discretionary. Which means the FBI, the State Department, the White House, the Supreme Court. All that may exist on borrowed money just this year. Do you do you have time for another segment, or do you got to sure. run? Because sure. let, let's d- drill into that and get some updates from you on what you're seeing, if you don't mind. I'd love to do that if you if you have another segment in you. That's great, David Schweikert, and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Congressman David Schweikert, representing our first Arizona's first congressional district, here is my guest. Uh, David, uh, give give us uh, what we know right now on debt, debt ceiling, uh, and I want to talk to you a little bit about what is becoming known as your Armageddon speech, which you gave about five or six days ago. <laughs> yes, sir. Look, um, people here are terrified to actually talk about the most difficult subject, and that is what is the primary driver of U.S. sovereign debt? And it's obviously interest on the debt, and it's health care. Um, and just in the first seven months of this year, um, our fiscal year, um, uh, healthcare, just Medicare, just Medicare itself, spending was up 16% just on that program mm-hmm. in seven months. Mm-hmm. So that's stunning amounts of money. Mm-hmm. At about another hundred, um, in the first seven months, it was 106 or seven. Now add another 40 billion on interest, you know, over the previous year. And that's going to go up dramatically more now that Treasury is selling lots and lots and lots of bonds to refund all the trust funds that they took money from to keep operating. Most people don't realize when you finish the debt ceiling, there's all this borrowed money that needs to go back to Social Security, that needs to go back to the Medicare trust fund, these things. 
that's the cash they were living on. And so now that goes to debt markets. Um, and it's just, it, 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 the numbers have fallen dramatically in, well, simplest way I can say it. May 22, so one year ago, we expected about a $980 billion deficit. Mm-hmm. Today, we're expecting a $1.8 trillion deficit. Mm-hmm. So we functionally doubled in one year the numbers going south on us. Mm-hmm. And it's almost it's all health care and interest. And, and tax receipts have fallen. Well, that's the other thing. That's the other thing, because you and I think about a multi-tier, multi-pronged approach to attack it. Part of it does have to be a growth model, right? Part of it does have to be a growth model. It's just, it's, here's how hard the growth model is. Okay. Everyone just thinks, well, just do this. Yeah, right. Um, just that $100 billion reduction in spending, mm-hmm. in, in the immediate spending, as part of the um, debt ceiling bill. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, we have new caps, we have, you know, all these new rules, on, and, and then these reductions in spending. So you took non-defense discretionary, it was let's round numbers, $700 billion, we remove $100 billion. That $100 billion is, is calculated to reduce growth by one-half a percent next year. Mm-hmm. So when you're doing these things, it's the right thing to do. You've got to cut the spending, but you've got to think like an economist saying, all right, I'm going to lose this stimulus factor for this period of time. What can I do in tax policy and regulatory policy and energy policy mm-hmm. to make up growth mm-hmm. because this spending and then borrowing um, stimulus will not be in the economy. So it's more than just cuts. You have to do the other side of the seesaw and keep the growth going. Yeah. And it's so hard to get people here to think. One of the ways to maybe put back on the table, one of the issues to put back on the table in our thinking about it, it's been said by various joint chiefs, chairmen, it's been said by various congressmen, perhaps even by you, I I just don't know, I I don't have the list of names in front of me, that really our national debt is one of the single greatest threats to our national security as well. Um, And it's shocking how many people won't have that conversation with you. So a a good example is we we did our, our spending cuts, and a couple of the very people who complained most about it are already trying to bust the caps because they want more <laughs> spending on certain things that benefit their district. Yeah. It's the perversity of this place. That is kind of an issue that I think we as conservatives or Republicans need to start thinking about more seriously as well. You know, are you talking a good game when you're in Washington or, or are you just talking that game and bringing back suitcases well, full of appropriations? Um, I, I need to – go a little tougher okay appropriations bills are beginning their process yeah there's going to be um and those of us push a matter of fact i'm gonna be on the speech in a little bit with the freedom caucus doing you know um uh i'm because I'm, I'm doing some of their economics for them um sort of walking through what we call non-defense discretionary right it's only about 11 percent of our spending okay there's a scam that some of the folks are trying to pitch saying well let's just go back if we go back to the 2022 budget, look how flat. Oops. Did you hit mute by accident, David? I think you hit mute. Yes, yes. And do inflation adjusted. So it's real spending. So you can see the line. 
non-defense discretionary is up 154%. That's a lot of money. And it's actually a little worse than that because Nancy Pelosi took some spending and moved it into mandatory. Right. Um, and that needs to be the debate because defense is up 35%. Right. Everything else in government is up 154 <laughs> What are we willing to start to reduce? And, and this is where people are going to scream. A whole bunch of that money is grants to the state, to the county, to the city, right. to your schools. Right. That come. So we send the cash from the federal government to those entities, and we borrow it on this side. Mm-hmm. So when people say you want cuts, understand a bunch of those cuts are actually – going to be in money that shows up in your local um and you're then now you're going to get asked at the local level are you willing to spend more money so it, it's but it's where the cash goes it, it must be an incredibly frustrating thing because on the one hand we know we have to make dramatic decisions cuts on the other there's a daily line in front of every congressman's and congresswoman's office of people that want more money or new money for more programming or new programming. Oh, that's what this whole day was. Now, I will argue the cuts in discretionary, when you add them all up, are almost a rounding error mm-hmm. when you look at how much we're sure. going to be borrowing at the end of the decade. Sure. The spending is on health care. Okay. If you don't have a revolution in the cost of health care, not cutting it, mm-hmm. but how we deliver it, um, the numbers don't work. We're no. going to have to be willing to work on fixating, curing diseases. And I, people think I'm crazy when I say this. You're going to have to take on things like obesity and diabetes. Yeah, no, you're not crazy. And I know that's uncomfortable, but I don't care. If you could see, you know, diabetes itself is 33% of all healthcare mm-hmm, spending. Mm-hmm. Take it on. Mm-hmm. And that's actually where the real money is. Well, you know, that's part of these uncomfortable conversations that people don't want to have. I want to have them, and I know you do, and, I, you know, it, it, they're going to try and shut us up, and it's the only way we're going to solve any of these problems. But, you know, it's more we'll, than a fiscal we'll problem. Called, it's we'll a life problem, too. Names. It's a human health problem, you know? Yeah, it, look, it's immoral, but we get called names. How dare you talk yeah. about someone's diabetes? Yeah. We want to cure them. Yeah. We want to end the misery. Yeah. We don't want to give you another clinic to maintain your misery. Right. It's a very different view. Right. It's a very different view. It's the glass pipe issue all over again. David Schweikert, thank you for joining us. <laughs> thank you for having Talk me. Talk to you soon. I'm Seth, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Threats to our financial freedom and stability are growing. Russia, China, India, Brazil, Arabia, the list grows, are conducting international trade in local currencies, not the U.S. dollar. Rising interest rates and bad loans are exposing the banking system and causing failures. The Biden administration sends hundreds of billions of dollars abroad. Meanwhile, while depleting our strategic oil reserves and ignoring our crumbling infrastructure here at home. However, the biggest financial threat may be coming from within Central bank digital currency is real. The patents have been filed, and the big banks have released plans for implementation. The vets at Midas Gold Group see devastating implications. The end of financial privacy, ties to social credit, big government able to see every purchase, maybe even the end of cash. Own private currency, gold and silver, and now get free silver just for asking Midas Gold Group how you can use your retirement to own physical gold. 
Call the Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. MidasGoldGroup.com. I own precious metals from them, and you can too. Trust the only precious metals dealer, Seb Gorka, and I and thousands of you already know and trust. David, you were telling me this is the longest day of the year. How did this not make news? Uh, yes, I believe today is the longest day of the year. That it will be the long, the most sunlight. Yeah, what yes. do they they call that the solstice, right? Yes, I, I, yes, I think. they call it the solstice. Uh-huh. Sol for sun, cyst, cistere, cistiere well, yeah. from yeah. Latin, right? Yeah. Cistiere, it's summer solstice. Yeah, the sol, you know, is sun. What's cistiere mean from Latin? I don't know. I to never stand still. Latin. To oh. stand, stand still. Don't give me. You don't. This is like saying, I don't know, I wasn't born back then. They were before my time. I don't know Latin. You know plenty of Latin. Ipso facto, e.g., i.e. Yeah, you know plenty of Latin. You can't say, I don't know Latin. So does that mean we have to wait for dinner? Are you going to have that weird, what what was that British thing you made the other day? Oh my gosh, are you making fun of me on air now? What was that British weird? So I tried a recipe the other day, and I'm not sure if it was a fan favorite or anything. No, it won't be. But it was a British posset, and it was a posset. medieval recipe, actually. It goes, what? It goes as far back as medieval. Posset. You want to eat something called posset? P-O-S-S-E-T. And you, you boil your cream, and you boil lemon juice and lemon zest and sugar, and then you combine those, and they're warm, and then you leave it in the fridge overnight or a cool place because it wouldn't have had refrigeration in the medieval era. And the acidity of the lemon juice and the cream forms a mousse-like texture. Yeah, I won't be having that. Ah! Do you know what else today is? <laughs> no. Are you a Jane Russell fan? Sure. It's her birthday. Okay. Yeah. Britt Humes, too. Uh, Riley Gaines, just such an impressive, impressive spokeswoman for women's rights against the nonsense in the transgender movement, especially when it comes to athletics. The... Um, she was testifying today at the uh, on at, at, on the Senate side uh, during a Senate hearing on uh, on women's sports, and um, they put her right next to the head of the human rights campaign, Kelly Robinson. The human rights campaign, by the way, they're the ones responsible for this uh, these social these cre- social credit rankings for companies. They're the ones that promote this stuff, and uh, Kelly Robinson. Well, let me let me give you the audio. It just you gotta love Riley. She just doesn't miss a beat. She's uh, she's a force. She's a force of nature. I think the first voice you'll hear here is Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana. Uh, if not him, it's the head of the Human Rights Campaign talking about how there's really no science that shows uh, men can beat women in sports. And she brings up an example she will regret. How many female members of the NBA do you see? Well, I can say that, you know, there's been this news article about men that think that they could beat Serena Williams in tennis, right? That they think that they could actually score a point on her. Um, and it's just not the case. She is stronger James, than that. What's your experience? Being- so he asks now, Miss Riley, Miss uh, Miss Riley Gaines, what her experience is. Male, female. Both Serena and Venus lost to the 203rd ranked male tennis player, which <laughs> they're phenoms for women. Riley Gaines, as <laughs> She just had it right there. She just proved that the head of the human rights campaign doesn't – Kelly Robinson is just spouting untruths, that men can't beat 
the Williams sisters and Riley just pointed out that they already have. They already have. Uh, one of the Williams sisters, I'm trying to remember which one, Serena. Serena said, uh, is on record as having said Andy Murray, uh, male tennis player, could beat her 6-0, 6-0 in five to six minutes. The Williams admit it. It has happened. And as usual, the human rights campaign either doesn't know what they're talking about or is lying. Inflation, it's up. It's up a lot since Joe Biden was president, about four times from when he was sworn in. It was higher than that. You have bank failings. You have stock market volatility. People are talking about a recession. Where do you go to invest? Why Refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. It's great freedom. There are no free... There are no fees in this collateralized and secure portfolio from Y-Refi. They are also headquartered here locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. You won't get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust them, and you will, can, and will, too. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm. You can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. I mentioned uh, in the previous hour, what are you looking at now? What are you looking at? Oh, a picture of, uh, okay, good, yeah. You've been decorating this office nicely with uh, regalia, political regalia of yesteryear, of yore. It's good. Glad you enjoy it. Yes, thank you for doing it. You're doing it piecemeal. One at a time. Okay. (laughs) It's not Latin. (laughs) It's not Latin. I mentioned in the last hour that um, Jason Riley, who is an opinion columnist at the Wall Street Journal, he took up this issue I spoke about a couple of days ago where Barack Obama tried to slap down Tim Scott and Nikki Haley uh, because they are committing the crime of being conservative while minority. And uh, Jason Riley writes it up well, he himself being a, a member of uh, being African-American. He writes, The former president tried to contrast his own use of biography with that of Mr. Scott and Nikki Haley, another Republican running for president who frequently speaks about her experience growing up as an Indian-American in the Deep South. Mr. Obama accused both minority candidates of glossing over the effects of racism, Quote, I'm not being cynical about Tim Scott individually. I think there's a long history of African-American or other minority candidates within the Republican Party who will validate America and say everything's great and we can all make it. I think Nikki Haley has a similar approach. Close quote. Everyone's focusing, by the way, on uh, the wrong part of this. The idea that Barack Obama is saying that African-American candidates validate America, the use of the word validate should really sting. It should really penetrate. It should really puncture. Validate America? Minority candidates shouldn't validate America? What did he do? 
what did he do when he swore an oath to defend the Constitution? At least four times that I can count as a state legislator, as a senator, and twice as president of the United States. Does he think this country is invalid? If you can't validate something, it's not valid, right? Does he think this country is invalid? Anyway, Jason Riley writes on another part of the quote, but Miss Haley and Mr. Scott aren't campaigning on everything's great. And Mr. Obama knows that as a straw man argument. Rather, they are using their personal histories to illustrate the opportunities for current and future generations that didn't exist to the same, ex- to the same extent for racial and ethnic minorities in bygone area- eras, which is quite right. That's quite right. When Democrats do this game, they're talking about not the America that is, but an America that was a long time ago. It's it's a very odd thing to try and make the world that is or the country that is something worse, something that it grew out of, something that it grew out of through a lot of pain and effort and money. Anyway, um, he writes, both candidates speak regularly about discrimination in America, past and current. Racism is real. It's alive, Mr. Scott has remarked, even if they don't obsess over it or cite it as a major barrier to upward mobility. Quote, my hope and my theory is that America has been waiting for someone to show up who's more interested in American progress than the big windshield of the car and less interested in the rearview mirror, Mr. Scott said during an appearance earlier this month on The View making sure that every single person based on their character, their grit, and their talent can rise as high as humanly possible. Mr. Scott's biography exemplifies tremendous strides in American race relations, no less so than does Mr. Obama's. The former president insists otherwise because that is what today's Democratic Party demands. Racial identity, politics, often leads to a sort of competition among blacks over who represents the interests of the group. Mr. Obama is playing the role of soul patrol. He wants Mr. Scott canceled or at least dismissed as someone who holds unrepresentative and inauthentic black views that shouldn't be taken seriously. Mr. Scott currently is, you know what? Here's an interesting theoretical test, hypothetical for you. Take any given assembly anywhere in this country, anywhere in this country, take a stadium. Or take a smaller, take a, take, a, take, a, take, a, take a hall, rent out a hall, 100 people for the Democratic Party, 100, 100 Democratic activists, thinkers, writers, whatever. And take out another hall of 100 Republicans, activists, writers, thinkers, whatever, precinct committeemen. So you have one room of 100 Democrats and one room of 100 Republicans. Have Mr. Scott, anywhere in the country, have Mr. Scott, Tim Scott, go into both rooms. Where do you think he'll be more welcome? Where do you think he will be more welcome, and where do you think he will be more loudly and epithetically denounced? The hypothetical, the theoretical, it answers itself. You know the answer to that question. He will be, in fact, in any Republican room the most welcome person in that room, probably. And he will probably be the most despised or the of the most despised in any room of Democrats. 
What does that say? Shouldn't someone ask Mr. Obama or some other detractor of Tim Scott's that question? I know I know how Tim Scott would answer it. He'd answer that just the way I have. He's probably experienced it. And that should tell you the whole story. Everyone listening to this hypothetical knows damn well I'm right, too. You know I'm right. It's exactly what would happen. He would be welcome in the group of 100 Republicans. He would be embraced warmly, maybe the most popular man in that room. And he would be denounced and subject to epithets in the room of Democrats. You know that's right. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. That's really the only Herb Alpert music we play, isn't it? I think so, just because it's campy. Well, you you better you always better be on your best behavior yeah. or I'll pull out Rise. Yeah, no, 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 no. We can't. <laughs> hey, we, Seth, speaking what? of your dietary habits, yeah. and uh, you, you constantly ask me about mine on air. What yeah. are you having for dinner? I know we have an hour left of the show, but what are you having? Uh, well, it'll be late because it's the solstice. Where the sun stands still, right? You enjoy the That's sun. What, that yeah. you learned a little Latin today. Yes, I did. One I did. word a day. I. I <laughs> what am I having for dinner? Mark Levin, the great one, confessed on radio. I'll never forget it. He did one time. He said, "You know what his um, his uh, guilty pleasure is? No, no what birthday is. cake. Oh, okay." He just sometimes, for no reason, will go to the store and pick up a birthday cake. It's a guilty. I don't know if it still is. This was a few years back. You know what my guilty pleasure is? Okay, what is you, it? You're, you're, the audience may not like to hear this. My guilty pleasure is frozen pizza. Oh, okay. okay. Once in a while, I just have a hankering for a frozen pizza, so we'll be having a frozen pizza tonight. Frozen pizza night. I'm very much yeah. looking forward to that. You know what? Uh, I hope that doesn't disappoint you. I, There's I mean, probably audience members who who are who are down with that. I've had frozen. Pizza. I, sometimes I just like it's it better than a real pizza yeah. from a well a real pizza. <laughs> it's not. Uh, we need to open up another segment here. Um, lies they told us, looking looking straight into our eyes. It's been discovered. Uh, Rochelle Walensky, the former director of the CDC. Um, last year in March, went on national TV and said the following. This was March last year. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real world data. Okay, that was in March of last year. What we have now found is an email that she actually wrote, that she actually wrote to NIH Director Francis Collins in January, three months earlier. January. She said that in March. She wrote this in January, two months earlier, two months earlier. An email. The subject heading was vaccine breakthroughs that they knew, she knew, They had studies, she had research showing that vaccines did not prevent and stop and save, as she said, that you could transmit, you could get, and you wouldn't always survive. It wasn't what they said. They lied to you. They lied to you with with a straight face. We'll be right back. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.